Psalm 146 says this. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. We're going to come this morning and lift our voices in worship and praise to our hope, to our help, to our God, to our Savior. Let's sing, let our praise be your welcome. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign. We are here for you. We are here for you. Let your
God, we are here for you. We're here to worship you. We're here to fix our eyes afresh on you. Whatever has happened this week, the highs and the lows, Lord, we are here to fix our eyes and worship you for who you are. Faithful God, holy, mighty, wonderful, glorious God, we fix our eyes on you afresh this morning. Come and lift our gaze, we pray. Come and stir our hearts, Lord God, in worship of you, that you would be glorified.
is failing. The end draws near, and my time has come. Still, my soul will sing your praise, mine and Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Forevermore. So bless the ask you to just take your seats for a moment please that would be great one of the amazing things about being part of a church is it's like being part of a family and of course in family life uh, people move on to new pastures and all that sort of stuff and we want to celebrate and give thanks for uh, uh, three people who are moving on not giving thanks they're moving on we're sad that they're moving on but uh, we want to give thanks for all they've been part of our community for a long time and, um, and the first of these is uh, Peter and Kathy. Peter and Kathy Lavers, who are over there somewhere. I knew they were over here somewhere. And uh, we just want to say thank you, guys. Uh, Peter and Kathy are moving on to uh, be part of the Vineyard Church in Farnham. Um, many of you will know Peter and Kathy uh, because they've been uh, part of our worship team. They've been life group leaders. They've led our worship team. They've been involved in so many different things and we just want to say thank you for being part of this family for this period of time we've loved having you being part of this family and we're going to be so sad that you're moving on and yet we want to send you with our love and blessings and that's just a little card to say but uh, uh so we, we're going to pray for these folks in a moment i'm i'm doing uh, we we're saying goodbye to three different people today so uh, um we'll pray for them all in a moment the other person we want to uh say goodbye to and uh, they get a stack of cards because the uh, they were a children's leader and the children wanted to send their love as well so uh, Hannah you get this massive stack of cards from all your children <laughs> and um, Hannah's been part of the church since baby and uh, Hannah is getting married to Simon who's sitting next to her in two weeks time And it's lovely that they're getting married, but as part of that, it means Hannah's moving to London, uh, which is where Simon's from, and they're starting a new household there in London. And so we send, again, we say thank you so much for being part of this church for, mm. I won't say how many years, but uh, a couple of decades plus. And uh, we loved having you part of uh, this church. Many people here will remember you and have all sorts of stories about when you were young and little, and we won't embarrass you with those now. 
Um, but thank you. And Hannah's one of our children's leaders and uh, has served in that area uh, so well for so long. And so uh, we want to now pray for and bless these folks as they move on. So if you're sitting near them, can I ask you to reach out your hand to them? Or if you want to run around to them, you're welcome to do that. If you want to go and bless them and lay hands on them. And um, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Father, we're going to miss these folks. And Lord, we thank you, you're speaking to them. And we want to recognize that. We want to thank you for uh, their obedience in where they're going and what they're doing. We want to thank you, Father, for them. And we ask, Spirit of God, would you come and be with them and keep them in these uh, changes of life which they're going through at this point in time. Sustain them, Lord. Give them grace for each day. Guide them by your spirit. Help them, Father. And so, Peter and Kathy, we bless you in the name of Jesus. We say, Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Lord, be gracious unto you and give you his peace. May you know God's grace and May you know the intimacy of his Holy Spirit leading you and directing you, keeping you close to him. And we'll bless you with great friendships in your new church family. Yeah, and for Hannah, Father, we bless her too as uh, she goes to start a new household with Simon just in two weeks' time now. We say, Lord, bless you too, Hannah. Lord, keep you. Lord, be so close to you. In all this season of change and excitement, Lord, give you grace. Let Holy Spirit be your best friend in these days. Thank you, Father. Thank you for these lovely friends. We send them with our love and with our blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And please, yeah, catch up with them afterwards. One of the reasons we were doing this now is because we wanted children to be in with Hannah being one of our children's team leaders. So, um, at this point, though, children, it is now time to head downstairs. So if you want to head out that door, if you're a guest with us and don't know where to go or what to do, follow the crowd. Please take your child with you if you're a guest with us and have a word with one of the children's workers and uh, they will help you with that. We're going to continue worshipping, though. So uh, if you would like to stand, please, and uh, let's continue to delight ourselves in God and enjoy God. Wonderful, let's stand. We're going to sing, what a beautiful name. You were the word at the beginning, one with God the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation. Beautiful. 
his name in all the earth. Lift up your voice and give him glory. For he is worthy to be.
had lots of songs about the power of Jesus' name. So I just want to invite you, if you've got, if you, um, when we've been singing those things, we've been thinking about situations that I know of, friends and family, maybe there's illness, maybe there's um, financial difficulties, maybe um, there's just things that are, are too big for you to have headspace for. Um, just encourage you to just bring those uh, to God now in Jesus' name. There's power in Jesus' name. So I'm going to pray, but please just ignore me and pray yourself or amen at the end. All right. Dear Lord, thank you that there is power in your name, that there is power in the name of Jesus, and all we have to do is speak the name of Jesus over the things that we have run out of steam for. Lord, I pray for, for people here who have got situations, circumstances that they have run out of their earthly wisdom or earthly strength or energy, that there's nothing left. Pray for family members and friends who are in those kind of situations too, Lord. And we speak the power of Jesus' name over them, Lord, that you would intervene, Lord, that you would make a difference, that you would give peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just sing that song again. Jesus, what a beautiful name. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son and the power in his name. We thank you for your Holy Spirit here with us right now. We love you, mighty God. We worship you. 
We pray as John comes and speaks to us, Lord God, we would continue just to encounter you and hear your word, Lord God, and hear your voice speaking straight into our hearts, into our situations. We pray, mighty God, be very present with us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to uh, take your seats. Uh, so just a quick introduction, really, for John. Actually, Helen did a very good job earlier on, but... Uh, uh, John and Marion have joined us, uh, as Helen said, from, uh, from Winchester, from actually Hope Church in Winchester. And uh, they've been, uh, well, I mean, they, they've come to this church for many, many years, but uh, John has uh, kind of had apostolic oversight of us as a leadership team for five years, is it? Something like that. Yeah, and uh, we, we've enjoyed wonderful times together. And I'm sure he's going to bless us this morning. But as John comes up, I just want to pray for you, John. Father, we thank you for John and Marion for their, their witness to you, for serving you so well, not just here, but in so many uh, churches, uh, not only in this country, but across the world, Lord. And we just pray that you would... Uh, guide what John has for us, Lord. We, we want to hear from you. John's great, but we want to hear from you, Lord, not from him. And so I pray that you would guide him through your Holy Spirit with all uh, he says. May it be a blessing. May it bring transformation. May it bring a challenge to each and every one of us. Amen. Thank you, John. Yeah, thank you very much, Sean. Thank you for the warm welcome all round. It's good to see some uh, familiar faces and some that I probably don't know. Um, it, it, it is, as, as Sean says, more in recent years that we've uh, got a little closer. Um, and then we, I, I always, I'm always going to remember this. Sorry, I had a cataract operation, which is fine. My eyes are much better than they used to be, but I haven't yet got a new prescription on my glasses. So I can see you better taking them off. Um, Actually, I was going to say, I always, be, I always remember coming here the Sunday before the whole pandemic cut out in, in 2020. I was preaching here and we were all hugging each other and chatting away. And then by the next weekend, well, I cancelled going to Spain. And so it's always got a little vivid memory of being here, having a very jolly, happy time and then <laughs> really enjoying it and thinking, wow, that was good. And then it was a long, long time before we rediscovered that in church and any other place. But we are pretty well back to that. So it's good to be with you, presumably be able to enjoy coffee and mingling afterwards. Look forward to that. But before we get there, I obviously want to share a, a passage from God's Word with you. And uh, I'm going to speak on a subject called a noble task. And I'm going to be looking at 1 Timothy 3. Um, and I just want to say to visitors, obviously you're more than welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us. But this will be a slightly unusual preach because it's a little more of a teaching this morning. I, I do want to read the whole chapter, and we, you know, I hope that won't prove too much and too irksome. We need to look at the Word of God, and I want to unpack it a bit. And there is a definite context here, because uh, Harvest Church will be exploring future eldership appointments in the coming weeks and months, and we'll be thinking about it in, in more you will be thinking about it in more detail, but I want to lay out some very important principles this morning. And I think in doing this, it's just worthwhile to remind ourselves as those who follow Jesus as Christians that this book 
the Word of God is the foundation of all we do in our personal lives and our corporate, our church life. It's our supreme authority for all matters of practice and matters of doctrine. And so we all try, I'm not saying we always succeed, but we, in, we all try, I think, to line our lives up with a proper understanding of the Word of God. Obviously, you have to understand it and interpret it. Sometimes, uh, particularly if you look at the Old Testament, you wouldn't directly copy some of the things out in there. So you, there is understanding, and that needs to apply to New Testament package passages. Although when we're looking at a New Testament passage such as this one, we are looking at something that God has given us for our era, if I can put it in those terms. The New Covenant era, the era of the gospel that we are still in until Jesus returns which many of us hope and pray will not be too long. But we do, there's a, a sort of uh, now and not yet we all live with. We're living with the now of what it is to work out our faith day to day, looking to the fullness of it all when Jesus comes. But for that period, the New Testament has a lot, very much more precisely, if I can put it that way, to say to us. Because the Holy Spirit's giving us something that is direction for our time. So let's... Look at 1 Timothy 3, and I'm going to read it just through with you. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, um, we're going to use the word elder at times. It's the same task. It may be even different translation in some books, in some Bibles. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task, hence the title. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil." He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women, this is NIV and I think it's correct, meaning the women deacons, rather than wives, which are in some of the older tra and other translations. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, writes Paul, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will now know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, and was believed on in the world. Before we even get into it, let's just remind us, linger on that verse, that last verse again, because it's about Jesus. And even when Paul's talking about the nitty-gritty of church life 
and leadership, he can't resist bursting into praise. And this is thought to be a very, very early hymn from the first uh, years of church existence. And it possibly is, with two possible stanzas. One that alludes to Jesus in his historical incarnation, you know, appeared, vindicated, seen. And another one which refers to him as exalted Lord, risen at the right hand of the Father, preached in the world, believed and glorified. So it's an exaltation, a praise of who Jesus is and who he was. And whatever we're doing, we always need to end up doing that. Well, it was so good that Nathan chose songs that were Jesus-centered because the church is Jesus' church. He's the head of the church. We're just the body uh, working out on earth all his plans and purposes. And even leaders in our church are under shepherds, under the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus. And uh, actually, there's another thing I can't resist. In verse 15, just uh, 14 and 15, just reminders of what a privilege it is to be in the church. A church, this church, is the household of God. This is where God loves to be amongst his people by his spirit. The church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. What a magnificent way to describe the church. We need to be people who are strong on truth. Not just what's accurate, though it is that, but much more God's truth with all its glory and color and detail and goodness and richness. We're talking about Jesus, who is the truth. We're talking about God's word. We're talking about the truth. That's what we should be centered on. That's our pillar and our foundation. If we don't proclaim the truth, nobody else will. We're in a very privileged position if we come to follow in Jesus, believe in Jesus, and be a member of his church and a member of one local church like this one. And it's good to remember what a privilege it is. Paul loves to talk well of the church. Jesus loves his church. Let's make sure we don't slip into rubbishing it all and um, belittling it. It is a great privilege. And of course, it's an even greater privilege to lead a church. (laughs) So there's this phrase, a noble task. And uh, the word noble, uh, apparently, the original Greek word means something fine and beautiful. So this is a fine and beautiful task if you are called to lead the church, because the church is fine and beautiful. You are fine and beautiful. I'm not just flattering you. That's how Christ sees you, as something beautiful. Something fine. He's loved you. He's made you his own. You belong to him. His church, every true gathering of believers, wherever it is, is seen with great affection from heaven, is indeed the center of heaven's attention. Very special people, a holy nation, precious, the apple of his eye, noble. And it's a noble task. It's a fine and beautiful task to be involved in leadership, a great privilege. And God calls people to it, not lightly. And we'll talk about that before we finish, how we sort it out, how we understand what he's doing. But it's also a fairly dangerous job because if the church is, which it is, as, as important to God and to the Lord Jesus as she is, then I'm afraid she's the target for the enemy, undoubtedly the target for the enemy. So that even in this chapter we get a little reference which you might notice in verse 7 must have a good reputation with outside outsiders so he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap 
Satan does not love the church. There is an unseen realm. There are angels, there are demons, there is a God, there is a creator. Come on, let's not be too materialistic, too uh, soaked in our culture to not realize the truth of that. And we need to be sober and watchful. The enemy does go around like a roaring lion and he does try to trap leaders and bring them into disgrace and he often sadly succeeds and for this reason you need to pray for your leaders as again the new testament exhausts pray for your leaders you need to show care and love towards them you need to actually there's lots of practical instructions greet them and uh, and show love to them it's quite nice actually as a leader to experience people's warmth not just the odd pat on the back if they feel you've done a reasonable sermon but genuine love and affection is very, very welcome. And just a side issue of that, clear instructions in the Bible that an accusation against an elder is not to be received without at least two witnesses. It's a slightly forensic sort of verse. In other words, it, it's like a judicial thing. Uh, we're not to gossip about our leaders. We're only to talk carefully about the negative things, which will be there sometimes, and there needs to be proof, factual, to two witnesses, there's almost a sort of judicial feel before you would further do anything. We need to be sharp and alert. Leaders need to be alert so they're not tripped up and confused and and troubled by the devil. But we need to be alert as people that we look after them well. Now, the Holy Spirit inspired this. It's not an accidental passage. It's not just a product of Paul's uh, mind or his culture. These are timeless truths for the church. And actually, I get a little cross about this, what I'm about to say, cross at our church. Cross not you, cross at 2,000 years of church history. If we had taken this chapter alone more seriously, we would have saved ourselves a considerable amount of trouble in the church. Not all trouble, but a lot When you think of the collapses of leaders, the divisions, the foolishness that's gone on almost across the board in every name and denomination through 2,000 years of history, things that we would sometimes uh, be very amazed at or embarrassed by, sometimes we understand it only too well. But when you think of all the things that have gone wrong, you think, for goodness sake, did anybody ever think to read these chapters and say these are clear, definite guidelines about local church leadership they are not to be messed about with they're not to be turned into some aberration where we have a new priesthood where we we insist one person alone must be elders are always spoken about in the plural they're always spoken about as a team these are ordinary christian people who have a higher standard maybe than average that's what's expected of them in terms of their character which we'll briefly look at in a minute but they they are to be tested. They are, these things must be applied to their lives. The principles here are real. They're not made up. And if we applied them in a thorough way, we would not save ourselves all problems, but we would have saved quite a lot. And we will continue to apply them as best we can. And we won't always succeed in avoiding trouble. But we will try and do that. These principles that the apostles laid down about the leadership of the local church being through eldership or oversight, overseers, we'll touch that because the three words apply to the same group of people. But if we use the word elders for a moment, this idea that this is the way local churches are led, this was laid down in the New Testament 
and modeled in the way they set things up. And it applies to all times and all places in the last 2,000 years, including 21st century Britain. Okay? It applies here and it applies to everywhere where the gospel's received. Everywhere. Every culture. So, all oh, our culture, men are allowed to have six wives. Well, they're not if you're, when you become a Christian. Oh, in our culture, men and women are treated exactly the same in leadership. Well, we're going by the Bible. Or in our culture, you know, they're allowed to do this, they're allowed to do that. Yeah, we're trying to bring the Bible culture across the whole world. Now, it isn't British culture. They don't have to dress like us and do their... All sorts of nonsense gone on historically. But this is the kingdom of God. And it applies to our culture, and it applies to every culture in the last 2,000 years. That is how local churches are to be led. And there are, is a reference here, which is an interesting one, to deacons, to the wives, it says sometimes. I think that's wrong. And I think there's a simple logic about that. Why would Paul give character qualifications for a deacon's wife and not an elder's wife? There's no good reason. It'd be silly. But then there's another flip side to the same logic. Why would the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to give character uh, qualifications for deacons, deaconesses, women deacons, and not for women elders? Because he's not expecting them to have women elders. But he is expecting them to have women deacons. They are both leadership roles in the local church. But the elders are the fathers of the church, the overseers. There's a model of the world, of the, sorry, not the world. There's a model of the family that is reflected in the church. And there's plenty of leadership roles that I rejoice in women. And right from the first centuries, they had more than sometimes in other historical periods. But the overall leadership of the local church, the spiritual leadership, headship of the local church, is in the hands of these elders that are defined here. And there is a difference laid out here that we can't avoid. And in one way, in some of the worst incidents of patri patriarchalism, women haven't been able to do anything uh, at all. You know, keep silent and all the rest of it. Fine. But then we can go to the other extreme of egalitarianism and say everything is for everybody. No, this is the Bible. We just go by it. And we've got to just try and work our way through what it means. I think we could do a lot better with the leadership roles for women than we have done in our particular group. And I say that having worked through and had some very significant roles. When I was leading a church in Hastings, which had 400 members, gathered more, we had a, a full-time lady, uh, woman, who was our full-time administrator. We had a full-time, uh, well, she wasn't full-time, she paid two or three days a week, dealt with all our money, all our uh, treasurership, and we had uh, a, lead, uh, a worship leader, and we had some house group leaders who were ladies. So, uh, and we had deacons, pastoral deacons, of some of whom were female. So I, I'm actually all for release of that, but I'm not for saying that just because we're in 2022, we've got to ignore what this Bible says about elders and about how church works. It's not just about men and women. It's about there's a fathering role. There's an overseer. There's three words. I'm so sorry. I've lost myself in my notes. Three words. Elder, overseer, shepherd. That dear lady is being very faithful. Thank you. Don't remember your name. Sorry. Um, 
there are three words that apply to this role. They're all the same role. And you'll find these words in several places, Acts 20, 1 Peter 5. There's several places where these words are, um, are used for the same group of people. And they reflect very, very quickly. Three things. The elder does suggest maturity, wisdom, and judgment. Not People often say, well, doesn't it mean that people are old? That's not really the meaning fully because overseer and shepherd has no age attachment. But, but what it is suggesting is wisdom that is not a novice Christian, not a new Christian. They've got to be experienced, got to be proven, got to show they've been able to apply the faith to their life both good and bad battles in their life. There's got to be a sense of wisdom and length of experience, which must be recognized. It's not just an age thing, purely. Overseer suggests leadership and oversight of the whole church, responsible for the whole church. Shepherd suggests the feeding, caring, protecting that goes on. But this team, and it is meant to be a team, is meant to bring these characteristics to their leadership. Now, once you get into the qualifications, and we've got them laid out here and in Titus chapter 1, they are, in fact, mostly character qualifications or behavioral qualifications. There's very little attention given to, uh, for example, academic qualifications. And now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't know how to defend the faith, because it does say they should, or have a good understanding of doctrine, because they should. But actually, it's, this is not like a lawyer or a doctor or something. We don't have years of, uh, of academic and intellectual preparation. It's not that sort of role. The qualifications are much more character, uh, although there must be a fundamental grasp of truth. Now, there's a little more as well. They all need, all who lead a local church, to feel a sense of call to this church at this time. This is not a job for life. You're not being appointed an elder in one place, and then you're always an elder wherever you go through the next few years. No, no, it's not transferable. And uh, actually, you don't go on and on until you die. You don't. I mean, people say, oh, Aaron did. Yeah, we're not talking about Aaron. We're talking about New Testament elders. And there's actually... A, a, a sense of a season sometimes for some people, and, and they feel that they don't feel called to it anymore, or there might be an issue. Now, I'm not saying it's brief, but hopefully it's not. It goes on for years. What I'm saying is there is an anointing to this. There is a call to it. There's a fundamental foundational that they are serving Jesus at this time in this church, and that is the prime thing that we are all trying to assess together. And so, yes, I would expect stability in eldership, but it's, but it's as I say, it's not a qualification where you've got like a, a piece of paper and you can take it on through your life wherever you go and whatever you do. This person will have in their heart a, a whole church perspective. That's what oversight means. They need to be carrying the whole church in their heart, not just interested in one ministry. Though that's wonderful if that's your calling, but the calling to be a leader, elder, let's use that word because there are other forms of leadership, the elder of the church will have a sort of whole church burden. People will feel it's right for them to do that. So there needs to be an echo back from the congregation. We'll talk about that in a moment. They, they need to show a quality of being able to handle people well. That's partly behind Paul's uh, talking about managing his household. It's not just about whether every child follows the Lord all the time. Big backstory I could share on that. But that's not the issue. The issue they, 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 there should be evidence of faith in their family. And, uh, but, but basically, they manage their household well. 
uh, particularly when the children are of, of age to be under their authority before they reach adulthood. They manage them well because that's going to be very relevant to managing the church. It's that sort of a role, a bit the same. Now, you can have elders who are not married, in which case they need to be celibate, and that'd be fine. Jesus was like that. Paul was like that. So that's absolutely fine. But we're still looking for people management skills, that people person, really, to be a pastor, and that they can uh, lead others and release others and delegate to others and oversee it and yet still be uh, caring and following what goes on. But whatever gift or we might recognize in someone, and they need to have some degree of gift to uh, bring God's word, to lead groups of people, to communicate clearly. But whatever sort of gift we might see, or whatever call the individual feels, there must be these character qualifications. Now, because I've spent a little bit of time on some part rather than another, I'm going to go very quickly, warning, <laughs> through these. They need to be observable matters of character and conduct that are practical evidence of a living, mature Christian faith. This is a summary of what the, we've read. These things need to be there as a bedrock for the person leading a local church. Now, we haven't time to explore them all, and that's fine, but we'll just quickly headline them. They're my terminology. There needs to be true spirituality. That means that they love good, hate evil, they're teachable, they're faithful to God. There needs to be a confident grasp of doctrine. Now, that means there is an ability to refute error and to spot it and to be, know what the truth is and what the faith means. There needs to be some basic grasp of these things, and uh, that's why we have some training programs to help elders do that. But it isn't like a qualification for, for, for a profession. There needs to be sexual integrity. That, that is absolutely essential, that the only sexual activity that is legitimate is within the context of a Christian marriage to one woman. That is the only way that a church leader should behave in terms of sexual integrity. In fact, it's Christian standards as well. But the elder must be an example. If an elder is single, he should be celibate. Elders must be beyond reproach in their relationships with women, with men, and with children. And sadly, there are plenty of disappointments in that area. But that doesn't alter the fact this is fundamental to good leadership in local church there needs to be emotional stability so it's not to be a violent person or quick-tempered or quarrelsome someone who can keep their cool not that they're going to be perfect i speak from personal experience but someone who fundamentally is someone of uh, a christ-like a hopefully character stable and uh, uh, not violent or quick-tempered personal discipline well, this is particularly highlighted with regard to alcohol. They shouldn't be a drunkard. Uh, and that comes out several times in that chapter. But I guess it probably applies to other bodily appetites as well. The person who is uh, able to control themselves, the, that fruit of the Spirit is in there. Competence in personal relationships. That is, again, back to looking after their family well and their children well. Um, and if they're single, other people speak well of them. Uh, and there is, uh, they're a good, they're, they're not perfect, but they're good at handling people. And there's a certain grace about them for that. Practical generosity. That's probably about the hospitality. 
that their homes are welcoming and open when uh, people come in. There's a, a money, I think, needs good stewardship of money, um, good givers. Nobody's going to necessarily know because these things aren't put up on a screen. Or, but their heart then needs to walk with integrity, that they are making sure that they don't ask the church to do anything they don't do themselves. So there's a sense of uh, generosity. Christian maturity, which is literally not a new Christian. It's not a novice. They need to have that element of experience. They need to have walked with God long enough to show that they've worked through things of their practical aspects of their faith in their life. Social approval, the last one, very interesting one. They should have a good reputation with those who are not Christians, non-believers, which I think probably means that they are people of integrity, they're people of their word, they may not be liked for being uh, Christians, we often get persecuted even in minor ways, mocked or something for our faith, but people should underneath say, but you can rely on what they say, they're they're trustworthy, they're reliable, they're honest, they're not going to mess you about what they say they'll do, getting people, men of their word, those sort of things. That needs to be considered according to what Paul says. Now, in one way, this is an incredibly challenging list, especially if you're an elder, and I've been one on and off uh, for many years. So I'm not an elder at the moment. I've retired from that. But I mean, I I think they're challenging for us. And yet, in another way, they are simply the standards the New Testament would apply to a normal Christian life that was working properly. None of this is revolutionary. The reference I made about, for example, married, if he's, if he's married, that the only sexual activity is within a, a marriage to one woman, well, that's Christian standards. There's nothing revolutionary about that. And most of the rest is. <laughs> We're not looking, you know, there's lots of grace and forgiveness and mercy when things go wrong. I'm not making a harsh point, but I am saying that in actual fact, although it looks a high standard, they're, they're only the standard of, consistent Christian faith and that mean that the the meaning of that or the reason for that is that in some ways elders example is their best tool for leadership that is the best tool of their leadership it's not their preaching it's like they ought to be able to say to you at any one point whether it's about prayer meetings giving or if you like sexual integrity they ought to be able to say well I'm really only asking you to do what I do I'm a follower of Jesus like you. This is not a super special category. It's helpful to learn lessons from the Old Testament, but this is not, this role of eldership of local church is not like Moses or Joshua, really. Those, those have massive lessons for all of us, and there's lots we could say. But this is about people who are also followers of Jesus, who are sheep of the great shepherd, who have, are, have become under shepherds on his behalf to serve him and help those who are around. So my final question, a couple of minutes. So how are elders recognized? That's the final little bit. And it's an obvious question, isn't it? Because there's no detailed instructions in the New Testament about how we do it. And, and to be honest, you can think that's very frustrating, especially if you've got a role like I have these days, where I go around and help churches. I, I don't appoint people. I, I lay hands on people, but I, I'll talk about that in a minute. I get ahead of myself. But to be honest, it's like, well, it would be a lot easier if we got more detail here. And God's quite capable of giving detail because he does in the Old Testament. I mean, if you read the detail of the priesthood, it's very precise in lots and lots of ways. But it doesn't here. 
This is because the new covenant is so different. It's for all cultures, all times, across the whole world, and it's so far been for 2,000 years, and this is part of the wonderful gospel message. So you're not going to get that sort of massive detail you get in the old covenant. Well, the tribe of Levi between, what is it, 30 and 50 or 20 and 50, and you know, none of this wrong with him or that wrong with him, and he's got to wear these clothes, and he's got to wear these hats, and he's got to do this, and he's got to do that. God's quite capable of saying that, but he doesn't, because it's a totally different covenant. And these people are selected, if I can put it that way, by the Holy Spirit. Acts 20, verse 28 says, the uh, Paul's talking to the elders from Ephesus, Ephesus, and again he uses the three terms, by the way, elders, overseers, pastors, for the same group of people. The flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We are in the age of the Holy Spirit, thank God. We're not in the age of the old covenant. We're, I mean, that's putting some honor, things to honor, but we are in the age of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit makes men elders. <laughs> Well, how does that work? Of course we've got questions. Well, the best I can describe is that somehow four parties agree <laughs> that God's doing this, that the Holy Spirit is doing something here, that God is doing it. The first must be the person themselves. The man himself must feel a call to be an elder in this church at this time. Happily and willingly, that's a biblical term used about eldership. Willingly, not because nobody else would do it, we need a few more. No, 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 not all that downbeat stuff. Willingly, feeling, yeah, God's called me to this. I'm ready for it. I'm in faith is the main word for it. And I would say if married, his wife should feel the same. And that is very important. She should feel, yeah, I'm, I feel God's called him to it this time. I'm for it as well. And I'm, I'm in faith as well. Not only because... Uh, she may have co it will have consequences for her not because she's going to have the same responsibilities that's not a pressure I'm putting on wives what I am saying is you need to own this and not say well if he wants to do it let him get on with it no 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 because this is this is are we called to this at this time it's quite important well then others need to feel equally the fellow elders who are already here need to feel yeah, we, this is right we feel God's giving us this guy or these two guys or whatever it is to our team we need them we feel God's in it we feel God's led us to it we feel this is a God thing a person like myself who'd be like the Timothy in this passage who Paul is instructing or the Titus who Paul instructs comes and says yeah I agree with this I feel this is right this is what you need and this person who I, and to do that, Marion and I will sit and talk with, with a couple, if it's a couple. Uh, we will have an evening usually, or a lunchtime if we can, uh, uh, as we get older. But no, we'll have several hours. We might have more than one meeting. And, and I will really take that seriously. But I am not appointing the person. I'm taking it seriously. Is this God? And then, finally, you, <laughs> the church. Not least, or last, but four elements. So there's the person... Uh, there's the fellow team, there's the sort of Ephesians 4 ministry, and there's the church. And somehow we need the church to say, we feel good about this. Amen. Basically, all those four groups need to say, amen. We feel the Holy Spirit is doing this at this time. And, and it's quite hard to, how do you quantify that? Well, it is a bit hard. So I think the thing we do, if I'm right, is we, uh, uh, Andrew, because it's really the, lo you're an autonomous local church. Andrew will lead that through. You sort of, 
um, present someone and say, we want you to pray about it, we want you to think about it, we want you to ask questions. And you are entitled to say if you don't feel this is right. But can I just say, this isn't a negative, it's just a little bit of a balance. Think scripturally about that. We're not saying, do you just like them or not? Or do you know them very well or not? It's not the prime question about you and your perspective. It's do you know or feel there's something that is not quite right about this? Okay, it's a slightly different question. It's like, well, I mean, I, I think he's a bit unreliable or something. I mean, I'm sorry, but these things are... We do need to know if you have a biblical concern because it might be something we're just ignorant of. And we're, we're all looking at the qualifications in the Bible. So it's, it's looking at biblical concerns rather than just your own preferences. So we w- we're looking ultimately for that not to be the thing that happens, but if it does, it's better it does. But we're looking in the end for an amen from all of us so that when we appoint these people or this person, we're all feeling, yeah, this is God. We're in faith for this. Amen? That's how I believe it works. And so as I finish, and I am finishing, I'm going to pray for you as a church because I think over the next few months there will be uh, looking at uh, appointing someone and, and, and this won't be the only one over the next few years, I'm sure. So the, the fact is you need to have, I won't keep preaching this, but you need to have in mind these principles as you go forward. As a, I say I won't, famous last words, I might have to, but I hope I won't because you don't want to keep hearing the same thing. But I hope you do have a fundamental understanding of what this process is about. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this local church. I thank you, Lord, for Harvest Church Alton. And I thank you, Lord, that they have come through some disappointments and difficulties historically in areas of leadership. But I thank you that they're they're through to a place of stability and health. And I, I thank you for Andrew, and I thank you for Sean, and I thank you for Nathan who serve this church as elders. And Lord, I pray that over the next few months and beyond, you will call and reinforce that calling others to be amongst that team of elders. We want a team leading this church who reflect, Lord, a a variety of gifts and a a variety of perspectives. And Lord, we want want a, a leader. We thank you for Andrew as the leader of the team, but we want a good team. They are not just uh, just there to serve staff to Andrew. This is this is a team of elders who lead the local church. And Lord, we ask you to uh, uh, call the right people to give us an amen uh, from your Spirit, so there is real unity in this church about all future appointments to eldership. And Lord, we ask you to keep us from the evil one. Do not let us be led into temptation in this to some sort of divisive thing or or to missing something important lord walk us through it we trust you we know you're we're your church and you want us to have an ongoing growing effective ministry in this town of alton and beyond and we don't want anything to trip us up lord so walk us through this we pray in jesus name amen amen that's it andrew it's not an appeal. Oh, sorry, Sean, I forgot. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a practical talk, so we haven't got ministry this morning. <laughs> Thank you, John. That was, that was great. Um, 
been a great morning. Um, I've just got a few bits and pieces to conclude, but uh, um, I, I think it's something that God shared with me earlier on, and I think Helen brought out a lot of the fact that the whole thing of coming to Jesus is you know, the name of Jesus, that Jesus is capable and able. But I, I was also reminded, it, it, uh, in the Old Testament, it talks in Isaiah about idols and how you know, idols are nothing, but God is the creator. He is Lord of all. And I was just reminded that God is in control. You know, we, we look to him for everything in our lives. We look to him for healing. We look to him for providing our needs. We look to him for aiding us as we, are, we do church together and as we go out into the community. So just a reminder, God is in control completely and utterly. He is Lord. Uh, so just a few notices. Uh, next or let's start with this evening. This evening we've got a, an encounter evening, which is at, uh, here at 7.30. It's an opportunity in a, a more, um, a, normally a smaller setting, an opportunity to worship, uh, to draw close to God, to, to really um, be able, you know, in a smaller setting to be able to share. Uh, just a great evening. So uh, please do come along, 7.30 this evening. Next Sunday evening, we have a church meeting, which is for all those who are either members of the church or feel uh, that they are looking to be part of this church. And uh, we'll be sharing various things, but actually next Sunday evening, we'll, we will be sharing uh, a name of somebody that we're looking to put forward as a future elder in this church. We'll be giving a bit more explanation of what that will mean, of time scales and uh, opportunities really, uh, as John said, for the church to be involved in that process. So we'll be um, speaking about that next uh, Sunday evening, again next Sunday, 7.30 here in the building. Okay, so uh, just uh, a few final things. If you are a guest, it's your first time with us, uh, I hope you've enjoyed yourself um, and that when you came in, not only were you welcomed by our wonderful welcome team in the uh, yellow uh, polo shirts, but you were actually given a uh, welcome pack as well. And in that, there's a, a card, a connect card, which we'd love for you to fill in and uh, put into the box over there on the table. That'd be fantastic. Okay, so uh, we're going to be having refreshments uh, in the cafe area over there, please do stay for those. And uh, yeah, please do collect your children as well uh, in just a moment. And do thank the, uh, the leaders down there as well. They do a fantastic job. I'm just going to pray and then close. Father, I thank you that you are Lord, that you love us. You loved us so much, you sent Jesus to die on a cross in our place. We are your children. We can call you Father. And we can look to you to lead us in all things, Lord. Help us to trust you and to be led by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Great. Thank you, folks.